That's the basis of our even meeting together as perchance one word it means something to one individual or maybe more. Uh, let's turn in our Gatsby's to number 115. anybody's ever read anything by Berridge, then you'll be familiar with this type of rhyme. Imputed righteousness is strange, nor will with human fancies range. We guess the lurking motive well, and Paul the hateful truth shall tell. The lofty heart cannot submit to cast itself at Jesus' feet. It scorns in borrowed robes to shine, though weaved with righteousness divine. Proud nature cries with loathing eyes, this imputation I despise. And from it she will pertly start till grace has broken down her heart. Oh, give me, Lord, thy righteousness, to be my peace and wedding dress, my sores it heals, my rags it hides, and makes me dutiful besides. That's good preaching right there. Let's turn now to the third chapter of Acts. It seemed like a long time, and Acts 2 is finally over. And like all things, time has a way of bringing something to an end and bringing something to a beginning. And we'll just have a, a, a nice time right now reading a beautiful little story which doesn't need much comment on. Anybody could stand up here and read it, I'm sure. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to re receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. And as a lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them, in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Now this 
is a new paragraph that starts and it's altogether different story now coming up. We'll just read it now because you're kind of anxious to see what happens. But our lesson, we, we won't get that far into our lesson, but look what happens. Okay, they, they, they're going to rush upon Peter and John and here's what happens. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though we by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and the God of our fathers hath glorified his son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and kill the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that you through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And that's as far as we'll read now. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee for just giving us this word. We thank thee for the simple free possession of this word. We thank thee for thy instruction, for the lifting up of our Lord and Savior, for the putting down of all men, whether they be highly religious people, or common ordinary people like ourselves, we know that we need a Savior. We know that we need a substitute. And this morning we thank you for those I sent this way for our place of worship. We ask that thou bless both the services, the singing, and the praising of thy name. This day we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we find a immediate change as we read the very, very first verse. Uh, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Now, we see the two mentioned together, Peter and John. We have the temple mentioned. And you look up in verse 46, just above it in chapter 2, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Now this, this is peculiar, and this is a, a, an unexplainable thing as to why they were permitted entrance into the temple as yet, except that God had given them, after this, uh, this new birth in the church of first 3,000 and 5,000, thousand people that's an awful lot of people in our eyes and our of course we're used to such a small congregation but there was a pretty good minority right there 
and why they were allowed to go into the temple because those in the rulers of the temple hadn't changed their their ideas about Christ at all. Only those upon whom the Lord had touched hearts. The Sadducees and the Pharisees and the rulers of the people hadn't changed, hadn't changed at all, and yet they still had access to the temple. Now notice he said at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. Now that's three o'clock in the evening. Remember Daniel prayed three times a day. He prayed at nine o'clock in the morning, twelve o'clock at noon, and three o'clock in the evening. Three o'clock in the evening still held good here at this time. And this is when they, what they were going. They were going up at the hour of prayer. And a certain man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Now, this was Herod's temple on Mount Moriah. It's had nine gates, and this particular one gate was called beautiful. Now, why they would call it that, and the way we understand beautiful being, I don't know. But it was a huge brass gate, very, very big. And uh, it has no spiritual significance, because if it would, had been a spiritual significant temple, it would have had 12 gates. It's got to have 12 in order to meet God's demand. Herod's temple had nine gates, which doesn't mean anything. You know, how, what's the price of potatoes in, in India right now? It's about the same meaning that you'd get from this. But anyhow, here sits a man lame from his mother's womb. So he was born a cripple, birth defect. It must have been that the, uh, the United Way and the United Effort have taken up there just didn't reach this particular set of parents because this kid was born cripple. And it's been a long, long, hard life for this fellow. He's always been deformed. He's always had to be carried. You say, my, oh my, how, how terrible it is that I've had to go through life like this. I've had this deformity. I haven't had two good legs to run on like Johnny next door, and I haven't been able to play on the baseball team, or I haven't been able to do such and such. And oh, woe is me. And you know, this goes to show us that things that are physically a matter with us in life are not necessarily detracting if salvation comes to us at some time in life. There's an awful lot of healthy people now in this particular day, in this week that we're talking about, that we're reading about. There's an awful lot of healthy people that never got saved. Here was one who had trials and tribulations all the way through his life, and the Lord looked down on him and had mercy. Now, this wasn't the first time that Peter and John saw his man. So they, they, they laid him daily at the gate, and they'd been coming to the temple, and they've seen this man, and he's always been begging for alms, and he's always been, he's always been there for the years that they've been coming. What makes the difference in today? What makes the difference in Peter and John approaching him today? I say the difference is it's the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works so sovereign as to the very hour, moment of time, and to the individual and to whoever is concerned in anybody's salvation. It'd be so easy to say, hey, why didn't Peter and John do this a month ago? 
Why didn't they do it uh, a year ago when the Lord was still walking here upon earth and they'd gone to the temple and they saw this guy? The Lord himself may have seen this man in the temple. But the Holy Spirit is sovereign and his work has always been the same as to either revealing things about Christ or, or spiritual things to people from the very beginning. His work is, is widely diffused, but it's always the same. It has to do with revealing spiritual things. So here he asks, Peter and John go in, verse 3. They're about to go into the temple. Peter fastening his eyes upon them. But John said, look on us. Now this is a, a revelation in itself. This is, isn't the same old Peter. You know, old Peter, he would say, hey, look on me. No, not this time. Something has happened. There has been a death, burial, and resurrection there's been a triple denial by Peter. There's been a triple <laughs> a triple reminder of Peter of that when our Lord spoke to him three times about him taking care of the sheep. And then, miraculously, the Holy Spirit has infilled all these people and uh, something's happened to Peter. He said, hey, look on us not self-centered anymore and it says in verse 5 and he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something of them and you know people do expect to receive something from Christians believe it or not whether they they believe in what you believe in or not they know what you stand for and they expect to receive something from you And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked, and entering with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. I guess it caused a little stir during the quiet hour. This was the hour of prayer. This was not a congregation or a church assembly like we have here where people come in and greet each other and uh, talk about uh, how you've been and glad to see you and hope everybody's fine and uh, have you heard that preacher's going to do this and we've done such and such? It was quiet. They didn't talk. There was nothing. This was the Jewish hour of prayer. It was quiet. What do they hear? They hear a guy leaping up and down out there in the hall praising God. And naturally it brought a little attention. They ought to throw this fellow out. He's making noise in the house of God. I don't care if he's praising God. He should do it to himself. He probably doesn't know what he's praising anyhow. He's one of these fanatics. This is the minds of the common people sitting there waiting for their quiet hour to get over with so they can get on about their duties. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. But they all just passed him by. And most of them didn't give him anything. Some may have given him a little bit. Sometimes people give out of conscience, you know. 
conscience bothers them a little bit. They had a little bit of misgoings on the day before or something. This is going to take care of it, you know. God will, uh, will excuse what I pulled off yesterday because, uh, you know, a little bribe. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. And the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. I just see him with both his arms around their shoulders and his feet just a tapping on the floor. He was really delighted. He was so so happy that these that these fellows had cured him that he really felt a closeness to him, just really like brothers. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And naturally they would be. Now this is a miracle. This is a miracle of healing. And the Holy Spirit is sovereign in his healing. He doesn't give these gifts to a certain person and say, it's, you have the gift of healing and, uh, and they can go out and heal and heal and heal and heal because it just does not work that way. As the Holy Spirit moved upon Peter and John and this man at the same time, this man was healed. Now, do you remember the time when our Lord was at that pool and that man was there so he couldn't move, he couldn't do anything, you know, and the Lord asked him, well, wouldn't you, what would you like, you know? He said, oh, if I could just, just be healed, you know. I've been here all these years, and every time the water moves, all these other people beat me into it. I have, how many people did the Lord save at that pool that day? Just one. You say, hey, I thought the Lord's heart was was all merciful and he loved everybody and he loved everybody the same way. Uh, why didn't he heal all of them then? Why didn't he just say, have a little meeting right there and tell everybody, hey, let's be quiet now. You're all going to be healed. But it didn't work that way, did it? Do you ever read anything like that in the scriptures? When the scriptures tell you a story and then isolate somebody, that's the way you should read it. You've got to read it that way. Our Lord is sovereign in his dealings with people. And not everybody is going to be saved. And he doesn't love everybody the same way. All the ones whom he died for, he loves with the same intense love that even he shed his blood for them. But the others for whom he did not die, they have mercy in life. They have breath, life. Some have wealth. Some don't. Some have wonderful big families. Some have little families. His mercy is upon all, but his grace is upon the elect. And we're talking about an elect individual here at the gate at a specific time that the Holy Spirit set aside for his deliverance. He was no stranger to even these thousands of people now who had just been saved had been coming in and going out of this temple. And always remember, this did not last very long. It soon wasn't long before these people all had to leave the city. They all had to split from their families, their loved ones, their uncles and aunts and grandmothers and all that. Those whose hearts the Lord did not touch, they weren't in sympathy with the ones that got saved. And the ones that got saved, their hearts weren't in sympathy with those that didn't know Christ. There's a whole new being inside. And we're going to find out just a short while later... There was nothing but persecution for these believers. Right now, there was a wonderful, free, open time. And we just read about a miracle that happened. A miracle that happened, to prove another little scripture, verse 43 in Acts chapter 2, and it says, And fear came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were done by all 5,000 people that got saved? No. All 3,000 that got saved the first time? No. It says that were done by the apostles. You know what the name of this book is we're studying? It's called the Acts of the Apostles. And people that try to bring that up to today and say, oh, it's the same God, it's the same Spirit, and if we only had the same faith and we could do the same things that they did in Acts 2 and all the way through the book of Acts, they're crazy. This book is called the, the Acts of the Apostles. It's showing us the miracles that were done in the early church and when the apostles were finally finished, died, gone to be with the Lord. You had a completed revelation of the Word of God, which people didn't have then, and that's all you've got. You're not getting all these big healing things. And if there is wonderful healings, seemingly wonderful, ah, test the spirits. Be careful. Watch. We don't need miracles. The book you hold here is a miracle of miracles itself and is very preservation. Okay, let's see if we can go a little bit deeper into this now. There's a picture here of this center like there is of any other uh, cripple that we found in the Bible. And we'll just finish up our lesson by going over a few points that show how this particular cripple, lame man, laying at the gate, is a picture of every sinner that ever gets saved. The sinner is born helpless. That's scriptural. Turn to Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now sometimes the sin of the mother or the father doesn't show physically. In this case, his mother had something to do with it. If you want to turn to Job 25 and look at verse 4. How can a man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? So his woman had, his mother had something to do with it. She was connected with his defect. If you don't have a physical defect, you're all going to have a spiritual defect. you got Adam's nature. No way of getting around it. Not one person ever apart from the Lord Jesus Christ was ever born without Adam's nature. Verse 6, How much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm. All right, now we find something else about this beggar. I've been calling him a cripple. I think we refer to him as a beggar because he was begging outside the gate of the temple. First, he was born helpless. And if a person is born helpless, the scriptures also have another description of that. I want you to turn to Romans 5 and look at verse 6. 
if you can remember these scriptures along with a particular story, they'll stick with you a little better. As an example, it says in verse 6 of Romans 5, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Now at the time this man was without strength, the Lord Jesus Christ was here and died. And this man had heard of it too, but it didn't mean anything to him. It didn't mean anything at all to this man because Christ died. But we're fortunate enough to have scriptures to explain things to us. I know the sinner says in his mind, now listen, I know, I can believe that Christ died and was crucified back there 2,000 years. But how does that apply to me? How would I have any idea that his blood would cleanse my sins? Because I know what I am. I know where I am. It's so far away back to there. How does his blood have anything to do with me? So we can go to God's word, if they would go to God's word, and the Lord leads all of his people to his word. Here's another peculiar thing. You're going to have a love for God's word. You're going to be looking. You're going to be searching. There's a lot of things in here you're not going to like, but you're always going to be searching for information, especially your part in salvation. So then we can see when we were yet without strength, and certainly we are, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Now what's a person's proof today that they could be one of Christ's sheep? Well, if you have an interest at all in even hearing the gospel, if you have an interest in reading, you see, not very many people do. I'm not talking about people that have an interest in going to church because we have some great denominations and great churches that the people go there on Saturday nights and they go on, on Sunday mornings and they go sometimes every night of the week. They go there because the church says, hey, you're supposed to come. It's a certain feast or it's a feast day, or you got to come to confession, you got to do this or that. I'm not talking about people going to church. I'm talking about people that are coming to listen, to hear about Christ, who know something about their own selves, who have an interest in God's Word and see things in there that are real, real interesting to them because they see themselves as an immortal soul. You see, a lot of people talk about life after death, but there's not very many people believe actually in heaven and in hell. Oh, a lot of people like to think they're going to come back as a dog or a cat or a cow or a horse or something else, you know, or a fly on the wall. How many times have I heard somebody say, oh, if he was just a fly on the wall, I could see this going on and that going on. Uh, you'd be a very contaminated fly, believe me. You'd get squashed with a fly squad <laughs> and you put a hole in the wall if you saw so many things as you thought you could. But anyhow... <laughs> The one whom the Lord is dealing with that makes a difference believes in heaven and believes in hell. And hell becomes a, a living reality to him before he ever gets a real interest in heaven. And it's, it's a shame to say that, but I'm willing to, to state this fact with all who know the Lord Jesus Christ, that there came a time when you were under conviction that you didn't care whether heaven existed or not. You knew that hell existed, and you knew you belonged there, and you heard of heaven, and you didn't even care to be there because you didn't feel fit to be there, 
But you did say to yourself, wherever the Lord Jesus Christ is, that's where I want to be. See, forget heaven. Forget anywhere. If he's in hell, I want to be there. If he's in Tokyo, I want to be there. Wherever he is, heaven, oh, it sounds so good. The picture's so beautiful. Such a wonderful place to be. I want to be there without Christ. You know, I'd be like fish out of water. Okay, let's find out another thing about this man. We find him dwelling outside the place of God. Let's look at Revelation 22 and verse 15. Way in the back of the book. Last verse. Last chapter, rather. It's just before the maps. Verse, chapter 22, verse 15. For without are dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. He was outside. This was his heart. I don't even see him crying for, for healing. I don't see him crying at all for salvation or wanting to know Christ. That's why I say the Holy Spirit is sovereign in his operations. Sovereign in particular times and needs when these people in the temple needed a particular sermon and this was what got the sermon up was the healing of this man. The Lord uses people at his discretion. This man now is a spiritual beggar also. He's outside the place of God and he's a spiritual beggar not even knowing his own need. Turn to Mark 10 and verse 46. Just like this fellow Bartimaeus. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timotheus, sat by the highway side begging. It seems that God's people all become beggars. Not outwardly sitting at anybody's gate or even asking anybody to bring him to church. But the begging becomes one with them and their Lord. They have a heart to beg because pride is being broken down. Now listen, before the Lord ever gets a good work started in your heart, you're too proud to ask or to beg. You won't even ask God because you don't believe in Him. All of this has got to be broken down under this time called Holy Spirit Conviction. Now, I know you're going to say, well, where was this man convicted? I can't tell you where this man was convicted or what he had heard or what he had seen. I know he lived during the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was in Jerusalem and around this area when all the trial and the crucifixion took place. I don't know what his thoughts were. I don't know how the Lord dealt with him. But we do find an example right here of him being healed and seemingly being saved. I believe the Lord saved him here. He becomes a beggar. And so does every sinner. You see, I'm showing you from him the picture of every sinner. 
And of course, he expected something from Christians. He's asking those that were coming in to pray for something. And it's the same with anyone, what we call our everyday witnessing, that you can have a word for anybody. There's every saved person has something to give the unsaved. If it's just a word. A word of encouragement. A word to help perk up the day. And a lot of times when you think you're giving them a word of help, it becomes a word of antagonism to them and they don't like you for it. You know, when you meddle with somebody's religion, how many times have you heard somebody say, hey, you believe what you want to believe, we believe what we want to believe, and we'll stay the best of friends. And I believe that this may have been the source of contention in this early church. Uh, we read that, uh, oh, they did so wonderfully well in, in his first few days after the Lord had saved his people, and they went to the temple, and they had... Uh, they had, uh, how does it say it? Uh, they were having favor with all the people. But you know, then when they began witnessing, you know, when, when their inward soul and heart began wanting to tell their neighbors and their friends and those whom they worshipped with and knew from the temple, they wanted to tell them, about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he meant to them. That's when the trouble started. That's when they lost favor with the people. That's when they lost favor with the rulers of the temple. This can't go on very long without somebody either going one way or going the other way. At first they can put it up with, well, Aiden, they just knew, you know, and they'll soon get over this. Or... Um, uh, as soon as they they knew and they really don't understand the whole story. But when there's a persistence in life, they see your life and they hear you. And these people, I'm sure, were so full of zeal. They're wanting others to know this Christ, to know the power of salvation, to know the change of heart. This is what drove him away from them, what caused him to be persecuted. The man, in this particular case, he didn't even know his real need. He wanted some money. And Peter and John said, Hey, we don't, I don't have any money. I will give you what we know. And of course, salvation is better than money. Salvation, in fact, the way Peter describes salvation in, in regard to money, uh, I've always loved this scripture over here in Peter. Let's see if I find it for you first. It's in 1 Peter. First Peter, the first chapter, and verse 18. And uh, Peter may have had that incident in his mind because spiritual happenings which are momentous are going to stay with you forever. The day of your awakening is going to stay with you. The day of your conversion is going to stay with you. Many incidences that happen while you're under conviction are going to stay with you. God's deliverances are going to stay with you. So Peter, years later, writing this, says this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold, can you imagine, you know, that 
the thing everybody in this world wants, silver and gold. This is the economy of the whole world. You got the gold, you got the world. Of course, some say you got oil, but of course oil turns into gold and silver. This is the whole deal on oil. You can't spend oil, but you spend gold and silver. And Peter calls it corruptible, contemptible, in the same category. Or from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. How are you redeemed? Well, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, talking about the lamb that was slain without blemish and spot, was foreordained before the foundation of the world. What is the foundation of the world? This is language that says before the world was ever made into existence. Before there ever was a world, there was a lamb without blemish and without spot, and that lamb was Christ, and he was foreordained before the world was made to be the sacrifice for God's people who weren't even in existence as yet. Well, how do we know that? Well, I just read it to you. That's how you know it. It's in God's Word in quite a few places. It says that God knew His people before they were. Well, how can God do that? Because He is God. How come you can't understand it? Because you're a human being. That's why. Gold and silver is corruptible. That's what this beggar wanted. Our time is just about to run out. Let's see what other few things we can find here. Any born-again child of God can pass salvation on to others by word of mouth or speak to them about salvation. This is what the beggar did. As soon as he got up, he jumped up and he was leaping and praising God. He was doing it publicly. It was a public place where he should have even been quiet. We found him jumping and hollering. He had to stand before he could walk, and of course Peter helped him up. He had to stand up first, and then he walked. And his conversion can lead to the conversion of others. Now next week we'll go into this sermon that Peter gave the rest of them, that when they saw this blind, this uh, beggar man all healed and so happy and praising God and leaping about with Peter and John, the people crowded around Peter and John, you know, expecting maybe these men are gods. Because they do this later on in the book of Acts too. Whenever anything spiritual like this happens, people want to deify the ones involved. So you're going to find this sermon by Peter is not very tactful. In fact, he lays it on them pretty heavy, and we'll catch that next week. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee this morning for thy word, for the wonderful works of thy spirit upholding the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, seated at the right hand of the Father on high as our intercessor, the power of things, who hath all power in his hands, who touches the hearts of kings, who touches the hearts of peasants like us. We thank thee, especially being Gentiles, we thank thee that thou didst have anything at all to do with us that thou didst take the time to awaken us, to convict us, to bring us together to worship,
to make us to differ in the least from anybody else on this earth. We want to thank you for it. We want to thank you for breath, for life, for our homes, for our clothing, for our cars, our jobs, and especially for our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, the most precious possession that we have. We ask that thou would have blessed this service and blessed the service to follow. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.